Buenos días and welcome to episode nine of Los Políticos. Bienvenidos. It is November 19th, 2020, approximately 8.30 a.m. And as usual, we have Joel Alvarado, our New Yorican progressive Afro-Latino government affairs consultant who once called Brooklyn home, but is now a proud Southerner. We also have our Senator Jason Anavitarte from District 31 in Paulding County, all-star Republican, and who was part of the Trump Latino Advisory Committee for 2020, and myself, Christopher Perlera, a Salvadoran guanaco, if you will, transplant by way of Massachusetts, then Athens, and a UGA grad, and founder of Critical Point Consulting, a strategic partnerships and messaging firm. So we're gonna get right into it. And on our show, we are very, very excited to have a very special guest that Senator Ana Vitarte will introduce. Jason, how about you take it away? Thanks, Chris. Uh, just to our audience out there, just wanna introduce uh, United States Senator Marco Rubio from Florida and uh, welcome Senator Rubio to the, uh, to the show. Just so folks that uh, have may have never heard of Marco Rubio, which if you haven't, I, I don't know where you've been. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> Give you a little bit of background about Marco. So Marco's from West Miami, Florida, where he spent most of his life uh, growing up, served actually as a city commissioner um, in local politics, like many of us um, started our political careers. He's also a former speaker of the Florida House of Representatives, uh, was elected in 2010, uh, chairs the uh, Committee on uh, Small Businesses in the United States Senate, is the acting chair of the Senate Select Committee and has been fighting for conservatives across the country, across the state of Florida, across the South, and uh, was reelected uh, in 2016. So Senator Rubio, I just wanna welcome you to the show and hope you and your family are doing well. No, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I'd, uh, it sounds like a fun show. You know, it's a rare place where people with such different views can speak to each other in sort of civilized tones and actually have serious conversation. I hope we can do more of it in this country. So, but I, I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to do this. No, we appreciate you. And I mean, kind of jump, just jump right in and um, talk about a few things. So just kind of coming off the 2020 elections, I mean, I think there's a lot of discussion just kind of where, um, you know, we are as Republicans and kind of the cross-section of Republicans and, and Latinos in America, kind of what do you think is the future of Latinos in America and, and what does it mean to be Republican and Cuban and Latino during these times we're living in right now? Yeah, this is going to sound like a simplistic, but the future of uh, Latino Hispanics in America is to be Americans. And and that yeah, doesn't yeah. mean you walk away from your culture at all. In fact, we are a country whose culture is constant. I mean, you, you drive down any street in America, and every single restaurant is or, is a is a cultural contribution from some group that's come to this country recently or in the past. Um, you know, we forget, but there were waves of Italian and Irish and Eastern European immigrants that came to the United States and had a tremendous impact to the point that today we don't even realize that you know some of these things. You know that we don't we, we don't we don't even realize that St. Patrick's Day is not an American holiday. It came from <laughs> Ireland. We don't, you know, we don't we don't realize some of these things, and so or, or that pizza wasn't invented in Brooklyn. All right, so <laughs> sorry about that, Joel, but it wasn't. <laughs> so uh, it tastes you know, better there. It tastes better there. Well, so. That's for sure. That was perfected. But but um, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, so and I mean, food is simplistic, right? But there's much more to that. So I just tell you my own story, right? I mean, my wife's family's Colombian. 
my family obviously is Cuban. And one of the things is, you know, we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, not on Christmas Day. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and by the way, so do Italians and, um, and, and others. And we keep doing that to this day. Now, you know, it's obviously like anything else, uh, my kids and my family, they hustle it, but they also want to celebrate Christmas Day. And then they want, they want to have the Los Reyes Mago gift in January <laughs> on Epiphany, but they also want Santa, you know what I mean? So they're doubling up. But this is important. I mean, these are cultural references I'm making. But I think that the bigger part to understand is, like any community of recent arrivals, this is a country whose story has been written by go-getters. Why do you leave everything behind? You don't leave everything behind, generally, because some country has better government, social safety net programs. You leave everything behind because you're somewhere where you don't feel safe or you don't feel like the kind of life you want is possible because you're not connected, you don't come from the right family, you know, you don't know the right people. So you go to this place where they told you, hey, it doesn't matter. You know, if you work hard and you hustle, you can own something. You can be whatever it is you want to be and your kids can be anything they want. And that's the story of America. That's the story of our community. And it plays out every day, whether it's in small businesses or incredible achievements in virtually every field in our country. So the future of Latinos in America is the story of America. We're going to continue to make contributions like every wave of immigrants that's ever come here before because that's what america is that's a great Amen. answer i love it yeah yep I, i'm absolutely and I, you touched on something senator uh, first of all it's a pleasure to meet you uh, sir and um and thank you for the opportunity to have, have conversation and hopefully we can uh continue doing this because we just want to create a platform um for people to hear our perspective about politics in the world and so with that being said I know you serve on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, so I wanted to know your thoughts about the current uh, hemispheric relations and what action should the next administration take to address the challenges facing Latin America? The only reason I say that, Senator, is because I feel like that conversation wasn't really, uh, I didn't hear enough of it or at all during this, time, this election time. And I yeah. know your leadership on that issue it would really be good for our, our listeners to hear what your thoughts about it. Yeah, look, I mean, I think both parties have been guilty of sort of since the end of the Cold War, ignoring the Western Hemisphere or not giving it the attention. To their credit, I actually think the Trump administration leaned in a little more on it, particularly on Cuba and Venezuela when it comes to that, but also mm. on the migration issues when it comes to Central America. And uh, but I still think there's a lot more that can be done paying attention to it. I think that Western Hemisphere is a place of real challenges and also incredible opportunities. The first is it does have vibrant and real democracies. So Bolivia just had an election and it elected someone, you know, who if I, and I don't, but if I were a voter in Bolivia, you know, from I probably wouldn't have voted for it, but that's who they chose. And it was a legitimate and real election. And so we respect that outcome and we try to have the best relationship possible with that government. The same, you know, in Argentina, where, you know, they elected someone who, whose views towards the United States are not as friendly as we wish they were, but no one's claiming it was an illegitimate election. And you have places like that across the hemisphere. Then you obviously have places that don't have that. And that obviously starts with Cuba and Venezuela and, and now Nicaragua has to be added to it. So there's a, there's tremendous political challenges and there's also real good news stories. There are more democracies in the Western hemisphere today than, than ever before. In fact, it's, it's, it's two country countries away from being entirely democratic. Now then there's real challenges that every country faces. Some have more developed economies than others. I would say that the drug trade is a scourge because everywhere it goes, it creates destruction. And the pattern is, you know, it starts out in South America, it flows through Central America, destroying, you know, those communities and countries. 
and creating tremendous challenges. And the one thing I would keep a very close eye on is the impact that this pandemic and now, you know, two storms has had on Honduras, El Salvador and Guatemala. These are countries that are already struggling as is. And, uh, and, and I think one of the biggest contributions we can make is doing what we can through the Inter-American Development Bank and, and through other efforts to try to figure out a way to, for example, some of that um, manufacturing work that's gone to the Asia Pacific region. I, I think it would be great. It would be in our national interest and it would be great for these countries if some of that actually were happening in the Western Hemisphere, because oh, those jobs would be an enormous opportunity for upward mobility. And, and then people wouldn't have to feel like we've got to leave everything behind, risk our lives, turn ourselves over to some coyotes who are going to smuggle us across the border at great danger. Many don't even make the, the trip, you know, and the horrifying stories that go into what that journey is like are heartbreaking. So uh, my hope is that is an area, you know, where I hope we can make more progress. Obviously, a lot of it depends on those countries and their governments, but there are things we can do to help us, I believe. Yeah, that's very in-depth analysis and uh, some, some very good points in there. Uh, I'm going to jump into my question that um, it, it has a little bit of uh, your backyard in Florida and our, our own backyard here in Georgia. Uh, so Georgia and, and Florida both experienced instances where Hispanic voters were ignored by uh, one party or the other. And this in Georgia, it was Democrats and actually in Florida, Democrats, but for a different reason uh, in that, you know, uh, you know, the, the Cal Miami-Dade, GOP did a great job doing messaging. It turned out to be very effective, but the Democratic Party kind of ignored it because they thought it was a lost cause. In Georgia, our entire Hispanic community was a lost cause for national parties um, because we didn't think that we were going to be enough to swing the vote. What would you say to people that are taking for granted Hispanic communities and emerging Hispanic communities, either from a conservative or a progressive side, why would you tell them it's important to engage those 10,000 voters or those 200,000 voters in any of our growing communities? Uh, well, I hope Joel doesn't get mad, but I wouldn't tell progressives that at all. I tell them, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, <laughs> selfishly, you know. But no, look, I always tell people I, I represent Americans. And if you're going to represent and work for Americans, you're going to run into a lot of people who uh, are Hispanic. You're gonna run into a lot of people who are African-American. You're gonna, half the people you run into are more gonna be women. So I've never viewed it as you campaign to a group. Now, here, here's the reality, okay? And I'll be frank about this. Politics, media, entertainment, all of the sort of institutions that sort of have power over our culture and society are all filled with highly educated college graduates, PhDs, doctorates, advanced degrees and the like. Nothing wrong with that. I have a law degree, okay? And um, and I had loans to prove it. So, um, <laughs> but but uh, but 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 you know, enormous number of Americans don't. And um, and 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 there used to be a time when people that didn't have college degrees could own a home, and and or own a business, and take vacations, and send their kids to college, and not have to worry that they're one flat tire away from you know having to max out a credit card if they have one. So, who's talking to them? And, and, yeah. and when, you, when, you, when you start thinking in those terms that not everyone is a college educated professional living in Los Angeles or New York, then you start to realize that it's going to bring you into contact with a lot of working class Americans and a lot of small business owners who feel like they're talked down to, who find their identity not in their last name. They find their identity in what they do for a living, the neighborhood they live in, their family which uh, from a Hispanic perspective, you know, family is not your kids alone. Family is like your third cousin. Yeah. 
you know, families like the, you know, the, some of the people you never met, but they insist you have, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, family are the people that call and want to borrow your truck because they need to move something. And that's family. And, mm -hmm. and for us, family extends to people that aren't related to you by blood, but might as well be. Mm -hmm. So there's a real mm -hmm. sense of community. And a lot of times, you know, increasingly so, fam your identity is tied into your faith, you know, and, and, and what you do in, in your church. And what you do is part of a lot. These things are real and, and they have to be talked to. And there is an attitude among a lot of the people in American politics, including the Republican Party, that kind of looks down at people like that, that either doesn't understand it or, or thinks these are people that are not very smart and they need to be told what's in their best interest and what's good for them. They don't know what's good for them. You know, what do they know? You know, they didn't go to school for seven years. And after a while, you know, people, they get it. They sense it and they lash back against it politically and otherwise. And they've been ignored for a long time in both parties, frankly. I mean, it's the people who you go to them and say, well, let me tell you how free enterprise works. And that means that if some business can make more money by moving their factory to China, that's free enterprise. And people will say, well, that for me, that doesn't work for me because I need that job. And I'm not going at 49 years of age to learn how to code and move to Silicon Valley. So what happens to me and my family? And no one's been talking to them in either party, frankly. And so, you know, I think that needs to be addressed. And if you do that and you talk in that way, then you're going to run into a lot of Hispanic and Latinos. You're going to run into a lot of African-Americans and people of all backgrounds whose primary identity is that, is what they do on a daily basis, not just the color of their skin or the fact that their last name ends in a vowel. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. You know, focusing on, on the working class, the regular person that is trying to live their life. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, too many people have talked down to those. So thank you. Thank you very much for that answer. Uh, Jason, do you want to, to, to say goodbyes to Senator Rubio? Because uh, well, he's about to have to leave. I, I just want to ask him real quick. So are, so are the Miami Dolphins going to make the playoffs? <laughs> I think so, man. I think so. I mean, you know, but, but like two, well, man. I know. In fairness, you know, they added an extra team to the playoffs. So that increases our chances. So, um, but yeah, I think so. I, I mean, we'll see, you know, the way they're playing. I, I, yeah, that's it. I've been, I've had my hopes up before, but this one time feels different. I think they have a, I think they only have one guy over 30 on that entire roster. So, and uh, they've and got- I think a, you have a lot of draft picks too. So you, you, yeah, are, two, you have a really solid feature. Well, I, yeah, it worked out good. You know, we have a first round pick for the Texans who have totally, it would be like the fifth pick in the draft this year. So uh, coming mm -hmm. up. So let's just, you know, what I'm hoping for is two things. That the Dolphins keep winning and the Texans keep losing. And, um, and, 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 uh, and then we obviously we got to make the right pick. So, look, I feel good about it. But, you know, it's been a bad year. So at least I have one good thing to. <laughs> well, the Miami Heat, the Miami Heat were in the finals. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. I yeah. mean, that was awesome. You know, for them to overperform the way they did. It was just, a, you know, the whole bubble thing was sort of weird to watch, you know, but, but it was good. You know, it was good Georgia. too. <laughs> Florida beat Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. That, that we we haven't done as well in recent years, but uh, <laughs> all right. Oh, let's get a picture. Uh, and Senator right. Rubio, if you want, you can turn your iPad uh, landscape so that you can get full full screen. But it's up to you. There we go. All right. Uh, all right, Joel, adjust yours so that your head's not cut off. Same for you, Jason. And, uh, yeah, my, okay. and we're good. The senator is a pro. He his is perfect. And we're gonna take us in three, two, one. Smile. Everybody's looking good. Yeah, we're good. We got it. Thank you, Mark. Right, guys. Hey, thank, thank you, guys. You, sir. It was fun. Thanks, senator. I right. appreciate it. Thank sir. you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we just had, uh, you know, U.S. Senator from Florida, uh, Senator Mar Marco Antonio Rubio, uh, and we forgot to wish him a congratulations to his 10 years or 10 plus years in the Senate, but he'll, he'll listen to it later. 
Uh, we're moving on to Joel's segment. Take it away, Joel. Okay, so all of you who listen to our show, you know that um, one of our favorite parts that we kind of go deep in politics is what's on your political mind. So I'm going to start us off, and then we'll let Jason and then Crystal, Crystal uh, Black clean up, and um, we'll just take it from there. So uh, I, you know, what's on my political mind was there was an article a couple of days ago in the AJC by uh, Bluestein, um, who just a little tease, uh, maybe our next guest um, for our next podcast episode. Working on that now. So anyway, uh, he did a, an article that talked about the uh, increase in, in the Hispanic and Asian vote in Georgia and how that helped uh, Biden win Georgia, Jason, and get the 16 <laughs> electoral votes. And so uh, he specifically noted in a quote, Hispanic voter participation soared by 72% compared to 2016. For me, that's an incredible story in and of itself, that Latinos were able to really get out there, mobilize several organizations that I know Chris knows and Jason um, knows as well, that are out there working in communities, getting folks to the polls, getting them educated and engaged, right? But as I always, ask and what we always talk about here so that's all well and good but how do we turn that voting power into political power where we're getting public policy at the federal state and local level that represents our interests and it speaks to a lot of the things that senator rubio was alluding to regarding how do we strengthen our our the capacity of our families in order to achieve their american dream is that through education through home ownership through entrepreneurism through ensuring they have affordable health care quality to uh, able to get a quality education. Um, for me, it's always about translating voting power to political power. All right, that's a good one. Jason, do you want, uh, do you want to go or do you want me to go? No, I, I just want to, I'll talk about a little bit. Uh, just first, I think just the, the Republican party in Georgia holding on and, and doing very well in both the Georgia Senate, uh, which the body I get to join in January in the Georgia House and what leaders did across the state to, I think, just demonstrate that in the state legislature, uh, families and individuals in many communities, um, you know, are, are, are very satisfied and happy with, I think, the, the, the agenda that our leaders, such as Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan has pushed forward across Georgia. I think the other thing to talk about too is just the historic gains that we've seen with and Senator Rubio kind of alluded to this, and, and Chris, you did. Just, I think, the gains that we've seen in the U.S. House, especially in Latino communities, um, seeing four uh, new uh, Latina uh, U.S. House members, um, and the gains have been um, gained there, uh, electing over 100-plus new state legislators across the country. The Republican Party holding on to every state house that um, it's in the majority, and also picking up state house and state senate uh, capitals, just like uh, in the state of New Hampshire. So, I think the the message to where we've seen, you know, almost thirty point gains in Miami Dade County and along the the Texas Mexico border, um, in various different uh, Latino communities across the country. I think this whole conversation of how do we increase prosperity, we focus on family, uh, the future of the economy, and, and really how are we putting back to work and growing our workforce with working class families across the country is, I think it's going to be a, a very topical and a very important conversation, I think, for us to have and our audience to, 
um, engage us with as we kind of go forward into 2021. Yeah, I think that's a good one because Joel, so Joel and Jason both, uh, you know, they, it, they're not hardline talking points, but from a progressive and a conservative standpoint, it's clear that there's, uh, there's reconciling that needs to happen between both parties, between national, you know, presidential initiatives and local initiatives because there's a disconnect. And there's a strong, strong battleground across the U.S. between local and state governments and federal governments and what people are expecting. And I think that's emblematic in the in the results of the election. And, you know, we're going to give credit where credit is due. Uh, talking about Georgia, you know, uh, Georgia Democrats expected to pick up a lot more seats, uh, even though Georgia was you know won by pre- President-elect Biden. Uh, you know, it, it, I think there was only a net gain of what one or two House seats, and it is um, it was an underperformance uh, in the eyes of Democrats in Georgia, and it was a uh, it was a welcomed result by the Republican Party in Georgia, and it's it's very interesting to see from the outside uh, because you know the the unprecedented results of this election. My my mind is focused on a local 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 talent, whether it's Republican or Democrat or get out the vote in civic, uh, you know, information and know your rights, which is really more my space, um, where I focus my time these days. Um, I hate to see, hate to see it when folks get hired from Arizona, from Chicago, from Los Angeles to come talk to Southern Hispanic voters. And it's it's embarrassing. And it's something that I've told both uh, conservative and progressive organizations. I was like, please don't embarrass yourself and us by bringing in people uh, to tell us what we should believe or what we should be doing when they really don't understand that Georgia's Hispanic community is new and fresh and has only been here since really the Olympics, barring some long timers that were here beforehand. And it, it's it's always on the top of mind. And now I'm hearing that, um, you know, many of these political apparatuses and, and get out the votes and civic and education efforts are starting to listen to that. So it's going to be very, it's a good uh, it's a good time for folks in our community that are looking to get involved in a partisan space or in a just in an independent civic get out the vote kind of space because that is equally important multiple pieces of the pie and uh, you know we have 200,000 plus Hispanic voters they're not all Democrats they're not all Republicans and they're they're complex and they're different in the southeast we are different and that's uh, that's on my political mind and how it will continue shaping Georgia's political future for the foreseeable future let me just say, I just want to chime in on what Jason was talking about. And I agree in Georgia, <clears throat> Democrats did well on the federal level. I mean, the fact that Raphael Warnock was the leading vote getter in that special um, election for Isaac to fill the remaining term of Isaacson seat. And in the fact that, uh, you know, Biden won the, won the state. And also, we did very well on the local level with, uh, and of course, Ossoff going into a runoff of Purdue with an incumbent. But we did very well on the local level. Do you know in 2021, the top, the five largest counties in Georgia will all be led by African-Americans, uh, with Lisa Cupid uh, becoming the first African-American Democrat um, county chair in, in, um, in Cobb, and then uh, Nicole Love Hendrickson, um, the same in Gwinnett County. I mean, they represent like, like about four, like over four million people. Oh, they represent almost half the, the uh, state population is at 10 million. So uh, kudos to a lot of the local work that was done to get individuals into office on a local level, uh, where they can be extremely impactful on issues that we progressives care about regarding criminal justice reform, regarding sustainability, regarding um, entrepreneurship and home ownership. 
and building better neighborhoods. So I'm excited. Um, I think Georgia is moving in the right direction. And I, I like the idea that both Republicans and Democrats have a space in the political conversations still in the state. Well, and I, I can't help because you, you invoked his name, but I mean, <laughs> I know we've, we've talked about it over the last few days in reference to Raphael Warnock and, and talk about Latino politics, but, um, you know, just, just really kind of, you know, the comments he's made and supporting Fidel Castro. And, you know, once again, just, you know, this intersection where I think in terms of we talk about freedom, we talk about, you know, uh, the Cuban American community and just kind of, you know, where families are. I think those issues, as we're seeing them play out in Georgia, I think there needs to be a real discussion of, um, you know, are those the policies that um, Latinos in Georgia are going to um, be succumbed to, you know, if Warnock becomes the United States Senator. And and so once again, we're seeing whether it's with the federal races or state races, I think a lot of these, these issues just beyond even in some cases, the kitchen table in terms of more, you know, the global conversation of, of uh, where we're at as, you know, as Georgia and America and, and I think security around the world um, in particular with these U.S. Senate races. Um, you know, what does that mean for our community in, in Georgia? Um, you know, hopefully, Joel, you can get him to answer that question. Mm. <laughs> well, we don't we don't have all the time in the world to get into the full out knuckles uh, brawl. But you can tell that uh, Jason and Joel and myself, but in a, in a more observational capacity, uh, are very excited because we are now the most important Senate race in the nation. And we're arguably one of the most important states politically right now. It's it's the most exciting time for us. We are the the most important state in in the union. We we'll, let's just say that. Hey, I think we all agree. Georgia's the most important state, the great state of Georgia. That's right. <laughs> so I, I'm going to close this out, but I will mention, you know, Joel. A reminder, pointed out, uh, you know, Greg Bluestein is a friend to all three of us, and uh, hopefully we get him on and uh, get to talk about post election stuff, uh, as well as we, we've talked about doing uh, the deep dive on the demographics. Uh, to show because everybody talks about exit polls and who voted for who that's all speculative we can then pull up the actual numbers of who voted and then speculate who they voted for but we'll have concrete turnout numbers for demographics age race ethnicity uh so that's a wrap gracias por su atención thank you very much for listening and if you want to learn more about us you can go to www.lospoliticos.net or lospoliticos.net and please follow us wherever your favorite podcasts are found, including Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and more. So until next time, hasta la próxima, damas y caballeros. <laughs>